This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Good morning and welcome to worship. On this second Sunday in Lent, today we turn our thoughts to the cross, both our Savior's cross and the crosses that he asks us to bear in life. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, by his cross, glory and power be forever and ever. Amen. So let's turn our our hearts and our thoughts to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, our text this morning. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But after turning around and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. He called the crowd and his disciples together and said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. After all, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? In fact, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of our God. In Christ Jesus, our life and our salvation, dear friends. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus being led out into the wilderness where for 40 days, He was being tempted by Satan. Today we see that battle continuing. You know, Luke's gospel account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness ends with the statement that Satan left him until an opportune time. This morning we see one of those opportune times. Satan is a sneaky devil. This time he's placing the voice of temptation into the mouth of one of Jesus' closest friends, Simon Peter. That ought to be a reminder to all of us that Satan is a sneaky devil. We've all learned the hard way that he often has the most success when he places his temptations and hides them inside things that might seem good. Maybe it's the ungodly advice that's given to you by a close friend. Maybe it's chasing after some lofty goal, but chasing after it for sinful reasons. Or maybe it's the desire for love that turns into an excuse or a rationalization for sin. But whatever the case, today the Lord Jesus is talking to us about the cross. 
his cross and ours too. So as our text unfolds, we know that as far as the disciples could see, everything was great. Jesus was amazing crowds with his works and with his words, and his popularity was growing, and people were following in record numbers. And then one day, as they were headed on their way to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples this question, who do people say I am? That may have seemed like an odd question coming from the mouth of the Savior who knows everything, but still he asked, and they answered. He's saying, what what are people saying about me out there on the street, fellas? And they told Jesus, well, people are saying some pretty wonderful things. Some are saying you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some are saying you're, you're the prophet Elijah or one of the other prophets. Flattering things that all fell a little short of the truth, didn't they? And that's when Jesus asked them this question. Who do you say that I am? And here's Peter's response. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter hit it out of the park with that answer. It was the right answer. It was a beautiful answer. It was the faith-filled answer. Jesus, you are not a pretender. You are not a fraud. You are that promised Christ that God said he would send into the world. You are the son of the living God. Beautiful answer, Peter. And then, as we're told at the very beginning of our text for this morning, the strangest thing happened. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the experts in the law, be killed, and after three days rise again. He was speaking plainly to them. In other words, Jesus started talking to them very plainly about the cross, his cross. He was talking to them about his upcoming suffering and death. And and Simon Peter, for one, did not like it one bit. And he pulled Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Lord, this isn't going to happen to you, at least not on my watch. And on the one hand, we get it, right? And there's a part of us that says, good for you, Peter. You love your Lord, and you don't ever want anything bad to happen to your, your dear friend and your rabbi. On the other hand... For Peter to so beautifully and accurately say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, in one breath, and then in the next breath, pull Jesus aside, ball him out, and tell him that he's sorely mistaken, well, that's ridiculous. Peter didn't want the cross for Jesus, and he told him so. And Jesus challenged Peter's rebuke head on. Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but the things of men. That's a sharp rebuke. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't believe that Simon Peter was Satan in the flesh. But he did recognize that Satan was using Simon Peter as his pawn to try to tempt Jesus away from that plan of going to the cross and dying. Clearly, Peter had in mind the things of men. 
to spare the life of his friend. But Jesus had in his holy mind the things of God to give up his life to save the human race. But Jesus makes it very evident that there was nothing that would deter him from that rescue mission. His love would not allow it. Nothing would stand in his way of going to the cross, not even the well-intentioned loyalty of one of his best friends. And you know why Jesus was so determined to go to the cross, right? It's because the cross was the only way to save sinners. Saving his own life would have disqualified Jesus from ever saving ours. As hard as it is to watch, the the absolute truth is that we need that suffering, bleeding, dying Savior. We need him for all of those times when we, like Simon Peter, have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. We need Jesus on that cross for all of the times that we have vainly put ourselves, our wants, and our desires ahead of God, his word, and his will. We need Jesus for all of those times when we, unlike Peter, haven't really been all that concerned about Jesus. Yeah, he'll be there if I need him, but I've got a life to live, you know. I'll get around to paying more attention to Jesus in my life when when I feel good and ready, but until then... Not so much. Friend, there was a penalty to be paid for the sins that you've committed, the sins that I've committed. Jesus knew full well what that cost would be. He knew that the cross was waiting for him. He knew that it was a necessity. He said the Son of Man must suffer. But he was willing to do it because he loves you. Rejoice to know today that Jesus willingly allowed that to happen to him. He took up the cross and laid down his life, and in so doing, he gave us life. That, dear Christian, is the simple, sweet gospel. The cross was necessary for Jesus, and he refused to follow this temptation to avoid it. But then in the second part of our text, Jesus goes on to talk about the necessity of our crosses in life. Because see, when you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you know that he has given his life for you and that he has washed away all of your sin with his blood, when you know that there is a mansion of glory waiting for you in heaven because Jesus bought and paid for it with his life, then you can't help but want to live your life for his glory. You want to be his follower. You want to live your life for him and not for you. You want to live your life as a living thank you note to the God of your salvation. And so when Jesus comes to you in this text and says, follow me, you don't ask him why. You don't act as though following Jesus is going to be a hassle or a headache. You view it as an honor to live for the one who lived and died and rose again for you. You don't look in your life to see what's the bare minimum requirement for being a follower of Jesus. You want to give your all to the one who gave his all for you. And so you follow him. But please notice that when Jesus here talks about us following him, he doesn't ask us to climb into our private jet 
to live a luxurious life and follow him. He says something quite different. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is not telling you there that as long as you're his follower, everything will come easily in life. He's telling you that sometimes being his follower will bring a cross into your life. What cross? The cross that Jesus here is calling you to take up is not redemptive, and that's important. The cross that Jesus here is asking you to take up as you follow him is not redemptive. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with you paying off some of your sins or suffering for some of the sins that you've committed. That would make Jesus a liar. He said from the cross, it is finished. Your sins are paid for in full. So the cross here that he asked you to take up is not redemptive, but it's rather any of the suffering or any of the shame or any of the difficulty that comes to you in life, especially because of him. So when you feel the struggle mightily as you're fighting against some temptation to sin, something that may be a non-issue to someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, but for you it's eating you up and you struggle against that sin, you're taking up your cross and following Jesus. When there's someone at work who's constantly getting ridiculed because they don't use the same kind of foul language as everybody else or because they're so straight-laced, they're taking up their cross and following Jesus. When a Christian young lady who longs for a relationship with her boyfriend yet loses him because she tells him that she will save herself for marriage or she refuses to live in sin with him before they're married, when she loses that relationship, she's taking up her cross and following Jesus. When that young high school student is shunned by the popular group at school because he has the audacity to tell them that they need to stop bullying another student or because he refuses to let someone cheat off of his test, he is taking up his cross and following Jesus. What else is there to our cross in life? Jesus says following him in faith is a matter of self-denial. Notice he says he must deny himself. What does that mean? That means that as we follow Jesus in faith, we deny our natural sinful impulses and desires and instead choose God's will for our lives. That when we deny ourselves, we ask ourselves not what feels right to me or what do I feel like doing in life or what's going to make me happy, but rather what will glorify God, what will honor him, what does he want for my life. That isn't easy. That takes discipline. But please know that the one who gave his all for us fills us with the desire and the power to give ourselves to him as we deny ourselves and follow him. Friend, are you ready for that kind of a life of discipleship? Denying yourself, even when it seems like everybody else is doing it? Taking up your cross, will it gonna, is it going to be worth it? Jesus says it will be. He says, for whoever wants to gain his life, 
Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Now think about that. In the, in the eyes of the world, they're only living for the here and now. Life is just about what they can see around them. Life is about making yourself happy and doing whatever you feel like doing as long as you don't hurt someone else. But that approach may end up damaging or destroying a person's spiritual life. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But the Holy Spirit has led you to see the, the truth. Thanks to his work in your heart through the gospel, you have lost your life. You are dead to sin. And you now have been given a new life, a, a life in Christ. Not only a, a new life as you live here and now, but the promise of an eternal life and a, a perfect paradise in heaven. You see, through faith, you have lost a life that will end eventually in death. And you have gained a new life in Christ, one that is filled with meaning and that will never end. And so Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Think of how ridiculous it would be for someone to say, well, I'm going to have the most fun I can in life and I'm going to completely ignore God for the 70, 80, 90 years that I'm here, even though it's going to cost me an eternity of perfect bliss in heaven. It won't work for anybody when they get to stand before the Lord on the last day to say, look, I know that I never really paid any attention to you, Lord, but I had a lot of fun in life. I made a lot of money. I had a lot of friends. I was able to buy a lot of nice things for myself and for my family. No, life without Jesus is no life at all. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Don't ever turn away from Jesus. Don't ever forfeit those precious eternal blessings you have through faith in him. Today, this Savior, who is filled with nothing but perfect love for you, calls on you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. But please know, that, that even those crosses in life become blessings in Christ. They do. It's one of the points Paul was making there in that, that reading from Romans chapter 5, that there are blessings that can come our way in life through the crosses that we're called upon to bear. Our crosses are not redemptive, but they are constructive. Sometimes those crosses bring us closer to our Lord because they force us to give up on ourselves and to find our real strength in Him. And that's good. Sometimes our crosses in life fill us with this holy longing to be home in heaven where we'll face none of the difficulties, problems, frustrations, sicknesses, or otherwise that we face here in this world. We'll have it made literally forever and ever. There won't be any crosses in heaven. Sometimes our crosses in life bring glory to God because those around us see the way that we're handling some kind of a, a crisis in our life. We're using it as a, a vehicle to give God glory and to live our faith out loud. It's a way to, to let your light shine, showing others that your Lord is worth suffering for. You'd never quit on him. But whatever its purpose in life might be, when the Lord hands you a cross, friend, carry it. 
Carry it knowing that he has promised to help you bear up under that cross one single day at a time. The cross. Our Savior's cross was necessary for our salvation. Our crosses are a necessary part of life as we live the faith that the Lord has graciously planted in our heart. Your strength and your will and your motivation will come from the Savior who didn't just take up his cross. He let himself be nailed to it. And on that cross he suffered and bled so that he could say to you and to me and to all the world, it is finished. And because he did that, you know that you can look forward to standing before him on judgment day with confidence to that wonderful, glorious moment when Jesus will not be ashamed to be called your brother. That amazing moment when the Lord welcomes you into the perfect and eternal glory that his cross won for you. What a blessing. Amen. Amen.